This is the Enthusiasts Guild, a place for conversations about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And we're joined today by Alex Buckley. Alex, can you tell us why you're here today? Because I love beer and brewing it. Very nice. Adam, you're a home brewer as well, right? Correct. I've helped out Adam with one or two brews. That is right. Yeah, it's been a while, though. Did you learn a lot at that time? I learned about the bottling process, then which I was did my part. Yeah. It's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> Having two people was good because we could just sit around and kind of chat while we were doing everything. Alex, as our guest, can you tell us how you got into home brewing? That would be my mother. Really? <laughs> she worked at a Williams Sonoma and she came home one day and she's like, yeah, here, homebrew kit. Make your own beer. And I was like, uh, okay, never thought about it before. Give it a shot. My, me, my brother, my dad. We just went to it one night, and the beer actually turned out really good. <laughs> I got to find out the name of that kit. I was mm-hmm. thinking about it on the way over here. I'm like, I don't remember what kit that was, but the beer turned out really good compared to what a lot of homebrewers say when they started out. The first kit, I loved it. I had so much fun. Beer turned out good, and I was like, yeah, grab another one. And uh, they went on sale, and then with her discount, it, she actually brought home three of them for the price of one. And oh, I was nice. like, oh, shit, I have three to brew now. but went through all three loved it and uh immediately started buying stuff to go up to a five gallon system and started brewing a lot oh wow so so you kind of uh oh the bug bit escalated right away (laughs) (laughs) when was this 2010 do you remember what the first one was there's an ipa then the other three that came home, two more IPAs and a brown ale or a honey wheat or something. Yeah, honey wheat. That's what it was. Adam, how did you get into home brewing? I had a buddy who we were out of college for at least two years, I think. So it was probably like 2006 or seven. He just wanted to make it. Like he started looking into it and I was like, you're crazy. Because I don't know about you, Alex, when like the kids coming home. It just seemed insurmountable. Like, what are you thinking? And my friend Jeff, he was just like, yeah, we can do it. So we started watching some YouTube videos. I think there's a guy named Mark Emily. And we watched it a bunch. And it was just, we went to the homebrew store up in Tonawanda there, mm-hmm. got everything. And I remember at the brew store, they're like, oh, you're going to have a beer while making it too. And we were super nervous. We're like, I don't even know if we're going to drink. We want to make sure this turns out right. <laughs> and as we're doing it, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, we had a beer. I feel like if you're smelling all of the ingredients, the craving would just be too strong. (laughs) So I'm curious for Alex making the beer, because in that situation, when we started making it, Mm -hmm. we weren't really into hoppy beer at that time. Mm. So I don't know if you were, because as we started making it, though, and you have these, whether the pellet hops or fresh hops, all of a sudden you're smelling that directly. And it's like, oh, that goes in the beer. Mm -hmm. And to us, it was amazing. And that's how we, you know, we, I can pretty much drink any beer. But for you, were you already into those? styles yeah actually my first craft beer was a saranac pale ale and when i first tasted it i was like uh i don't know about this this is uh this is weird it's bitter and like i mean it was bitter for the time this is back in like 2007 or 8 but i ran out of beer and that's all my buddy had so i was (laughs) like if i'm gonna keep drinking tonight i just better suck it up. And <laughs> you learned from necessity. Exactly. And I actually ended up liking it. And then a couple weeks later, I remember going with him to the store and actually getting some craft beer. And I was like, oh, look at me changing it up. It took me a while to get onto hoppy beers, even after I was drinking, because I kind of started from the barrel aged, darker, heavier beers. Our friends, Tom Pafk got me into all that. 
the first few times I had hoppier ones, I was like, you know, this just isn't for me. Like you said, that that bitterness. And it was actually touching and like handling hops actually changed the way that I thought about that flavor because you get that smell and it's so fresh and kind of citrusy. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm thinking about it the wrong way. And it, it was funny because as soon as that switch flipped, Suddenly I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I, I can enjoy some of these IPAs. Yeah, yeah I totally get that because uh, starting to homebrew, I knew I went into beer. But then once you start working with the ingredients and you just like even just pick up a couple kernels of barley and you throw it in your mouth and taste it, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I understand where that malt character is coming from in the beer now. When you smell the hops, you understand where the those flavors and those aromas are coming from. So I feel like it all comes together as you actually dissect it and I get down to the the ingredients that you know the four ingredients that really make up beer since we have listeners who aren't beer brewers can you get into what those four ingredients are what the process is mm-hmm. yeah it's a uh, malted barley hops water and yeast simple now what makes it malted barley the malting process is uh, they take the seeds they actually soak them to allow them to start to germinate they warm them up to dry them out and then they kill them. Mm-hmm. So that's the malting process. What it really does is it, it takes this uh, sack of carbohydrates within that kernel of grain and it just exposes it and breaks it down. And that's where all the sugar comes from for the beer that turns into alcohol. If somebody's just starting out, it's their first time home brewing. What's the equipment that they need to get? How long a process is it going to be? If I were to set someone up with uh, their first batch, I would say you start with extract, which means you get to skip a lot of the uh, you get to skip the mash, um, which is a longer process. Um, It'll allow you to get through a beer, a brew day in a lot less time. And there's a lot of really good malt extract out there now. So Mm -hmm. you you can actually get really good beer out of malt out of malt extract. You would need a carboy and just a handful of other little things. Mm hmm maybe like 75 to 100 bucks to get everything you would need to really get going yeah i've heard that jimmy carter is the person we have to thank for home brewing because after prohibition home beer brewing had still been illegal for a long time and it was carter who actually said like no no we we can do this in homes and kind of got that all legalized my guy cheers to him Adam, when you were starting up, what did you think of the process? It, I know it sounded like you were a bit daunted at first. I think once you get started doing it and you're following these recipes, it's almost similar to making brownies, I guess, if you have that. In the beginning, you know, once you go beyond, you're you're playing with all the science and having the fun with it. But in the beginning, after those first couple, it was like, oh, okay, this is just boiling, watching it, making sure it doesn't boil over. That's a big part. And then waiting a little bit. And there's an hour normally in that boil process when you're sitting around with a buddy. So you have a drink, maybe two, maybe you play video <laughs> games. Like, and I think that's where, for me, it was a big part where we were just hanging out all the time. So I was like, oh, let's get together and make another beer. Yeah. Let's make another beer. Yeah. Um, and then social time. Exactly. And then kind of as time goes on, you learn more and more. It was fascinating hearing, Alex, you talk about the whole malted process. Like, how long did it take for you? Like, you started getting into that five gallon process pretty quickly, it sounded like. Were you like jumping into the science of it too? Yeah, I've always been a science person growing up. Always loved science class. It was my favorite besides surprisingly math. As soon as I did one batch, I was like, this is interesting. So I started looking deeper into the process and to understand what I was getting myself into in the long run. And all the science just started clicking. And I was like, 
holy crap, I think I found my perfect hobby. <laughs> so yeah, I got deep into the science pretty quick and started reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of podcasts, and that's really where I got my education on brewing from. Well, and you're part of the local home brewing community. Yeah, actually my uh, turned a corner once I joined a homebrew club, the Sultans of Swig. I just showed up for a meeting and brought a beer and I didn't know what I was getting myself into with like 20, 30 guys hanging out, you know, uh, sharing their beers. And when I passed mine around, everyone's sipping on and they're like, oh yeah, you got to stand up and tell us about your recipe and tell us how you did it. And I was just like, wait, what? I thought you were just going to drink it and tell me if you like it or not. (laughs) But no, I had to stand up and I'm looking at all these people. I'm like, these guys know a hell of a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. They ended up liking it surprisingly. Oh, good. Um, It was, in my opinion, it wasn't that great of a beer, but they ended up liking it. And I got a lot of tips from them from that first uh, from that first meeting. I was just like, whoa, I got to come to this every single month Mm -hmm. because the feedback I got, the negative, the positive really pushed me to drive this thing forward and really, really solidified my love for brewing beer. And you've been involved on the professional side as well. Yeah, I brewed at 42 North for a little bit. Um, and, uh, currently in the process of opening my own brewery. Sultans of Swig, there is a public event that they have each year where people can taste the different beers. What's that called again? Santas of Swig. The Santas of Swig. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun time. Yeah. It happens every December and it's at Ironworks and it's homebrewers bring, uh, their either a case of beer or a keg of beer that they brewed. And then the public comes in, they pay all the money goes to charity and they, you go around, you drink as much beer as you want, and then you rate the beers and uh, you get a winner out of it. And Alex, have you won before? A couple times. <laughs> so modest. Yeah. He, he's I, he's I wearing say, the I really medals. wanted to get into that, that. Alex has won multiple home brewers com- a few. competitions. Yeah, a few. Yeah. Is there a specific beer that you're proudest of? Uh, I did a strawberries and cream that I really liked. Uh, it was a strawberries it was quite and cream delicious. IPA. I've had it, yeah. That actually won at uh, Santa's a Swig, and then it got. I ended up brewing it. The prize was to brew it at Pearl Street, so that was on tap at Pearl Street for a little bit. I got to know the process of this one. The original concept was really off the wall because there were no milkshake IPAs out there at the time. So I kind of want to feel like I did the first one, but uh, you paved the way. Thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't thank myself for it, but (laughs) now that I see them everywhere and I'm kind of over them, but it started with, I wanted that vanilla character, but I didn't want to use vanilla beans. So I was actually going for a barrel aged IPA with strawberries, trying to enhance the, the vanilla character with the oak, just getting those vanilla tannins out of the oak. It worked decently, but you can't do that. If you really want vanilla, put vanilla in it. (laughs) Now, in your early years, when you were first starting, how often were you brewing? Was it an every weekend thing? Was it uh, you letting time go by? How often were you doing it? And did you have stuff always percolating in the basement? For a little bit, yeah. It was like every other weekend. Uh, Just to like always have something going. And I got to a point where I'm like, if I'm going to brew a beer on a Saturday, I got all day. I can start a second mash while the first boil is going. So I started doing double batches, doing two different beers each time I brewed. So yeah, all of a sudden I'm looking to my kegerator, which can hold about 10, 10, five gallon kegs. And uh, yeah, there was a time where it was full. (laughs) Too much beer to drink. (laughs) 
So are you have a lot of friends then? A lot of people coming over drinking this? <laughs> Is that yeah. That was actually when we were doing our podcast of uh, Your Brain on Hops. So yeah, they would come over and we'd be sipping on them before, during, after the show. Uh, bringing them to our favorite, one of our favorite places, Aurora Brewworks, yeah. to share with everybody. Yeah. There that was, was a, always fun. There was always an outlet for them. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know, have you bad beers or accidents, like bottle bombs? Have you had bottle bombs? Only had one. And it was only one in the entire case. I couldn't believe it. I oh, thought wow. I heard something like blow and I was like, what the hell was that? And I didn't think anything of it. And the next day I go downstairs and I pull the case out and it was just dripping from the bottom and soaking wet. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, they all blew up. But it was only one. I immediately took the entire case, put it in the kegerator. And I'm like, no more. <laughs> I want to drink these. Nice. Can you explain what a bottle bomb is for for a newbie? Uh, we'll see if I can do it in a coherent fashion. It's pretty much when there's too much carbonation in there and mm-hmm. it blows the bottle up. Yep. Um, that too much pressure. I think I've we've only had a couple because for the most part over the years I brewed with a friend. I didn't even know about the one that happened because we brewed it at my parents' house, brewed it there, and I guess you know left it in the basement. It was doing its thing, and my dad said he was down there doing some woodwork, and all of a sudden he hears boom. <laughs> And he goes over like, what the hell? And he calls me up and he's like, there's some glass everywhere. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, and that can happen when the fermentation continues within the bottle, right? Yes. So that's. Yeah. Uh, over too much priming sugar going into the bottle to actually create that carbonation within the bottle or could be uh, too much residual sugar in the actual beer going into the bottle. Either way, yeah, you're just getting more carbonation and boom. There's a podcast that I listen to called Savor, and they they talk on a lot of their episodes about yeast. And basically that carbonation, that carbon dioxide is a byproduct of the yeast eating the sugars. People don't realize that that's part of a lot of the processes for foods that we eat. And there are a lot of people out there that don't know that alcohol actually comes from the sugar from the grain. Um, I've had conversations with people where they're like, oh, yeah, you get all, you know, so many hops in there. So the alcohol is so high. I'm like, that's not how it works <laughs> at all. <laughs> not at all. That's what took you to the next point, because you're starting your own brewery. Mm-hmm. Was it a process pretty quickly on where you're like, I got to do this? Uh, I had a lot of people telling me I should open my own brewery, but I started looking into it and I was like, eh, financially, I don't know if I can do this. Like. I'm going to need investors and all that kind of stuff uh, to actually open up. Brewing equipment is extremely expensive on a, on a actual, you know, large brewery scale. So I wanted to based off of what everyone was saying about my beer. But at the same time, I was like, sounds like a lot of work, a lot of money. And I don't know that I want to get into it until one beer really hit and it was with a friend of mine well two friends of mine and then we immediately were like oh crap yeah we should open a brewery and that was the first moment where i was like yeah i'm gonna do this right about eight years ago now what was the beer it was a pina colada wit beer uh it won at the resurgence dude hates cancer competition very similar to the santa's a swig where the public comes in and votes so we ended up winning that and brewing that beer at Resurgence. And uh, yeah, that was the one where I was just like, okay, this, this might be my thing. Like, I think I found what I should be doing with my life. That's so neat, too, that there is a, a little bit of a, a pathway that you followed from home brewing to 
okay, I, I've won some contests. I get to brew in this beer that I've created with a brewery. You worked at 42 North for a while and were involved in their brewing process. And yeah, you've gotten your feet wet. You kind of know the processes. You've gotten the chance to talk to a lot of people about the ins and outs. And mm -hmm. yeah, now you're ready to take that next step. Yeah, for sure. Do you still enjoy the homebrew process like that? Do you still do five gallon batches here and there? Five, 10 and 15. I've been since uh, the first time working on opening something, uh, I started to piece together a 15 gallon system for my pilot system. Figured I'm like, this money isn't going to go to waste if I open something because then I can do test batches on a smaller system, scale them up to the bigger system when I feel like they're ready. Um, I'm still working on that pilot system now. Uh, but I, I absolutely love it. I've, uh, I've added so many new pieces to it over the past couple of years leading up to what I'm doing now. And yeah, I still, if I could brew every day, I'd, I would be brewing at home every single day. Just don't have the outlet for all that beer. <laughs> Alex, you brought a home brew for us today. We just started sipping on it. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah. So this is a clone of Hayburner. Um, Hayburner is the flagship IPA of Big Ditch Brewing Company in Buffalo. They actually just did a competition, which is why I brewed this. Uh, it's a homebrew competition. They You buy the ingredients from them and uh, you brew it. And I think they, tomorrow is the last day to drop off bottles. The winner gets a case of Hayburner every month for the next year. That seems well worth it. Yeah. And I mean, in my head, I was like for 45 bucks for the, for the ingredients, like it's a good beer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind having it on tap at home. No, it's so, a nice flavor. Yeah. A buddy, cause they started doing that maybe two years ago, uh, big ditch with their Hayburner recipe where you can go pick it up. And so he was a big fan of Hayburner and he's like, he knew I brewed beer and he's like, I'm buying this. You're making it for me. Okay, I will pay <laughs> nice. for it. And, and I felt a lot of pressure at that point. And I said, Dan, like, what if it goes wrong? And, and it was, you know, like you said, about 50 bucks or something. And he's yeah. like, mm -hmm. well, just don't screw up. And if anything, I'll go, I'll said I'd buy him a six pack of Hayburner. But uh, let's cheers to this. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Now, how would you describe the flavor profile of a, a Hayburner or in this case, a Hayburner clone? Um, I would say very citrus forward, um, very fruity in the nose. The uh, blind tasting that I did uh, with the two of them side by side, I definitely got more fruitiness in the nose of the Hayburner than okay. in mine. And there's something a little like mid palate that I get in Hayburner that I don't get in this. Hmm. But I think it's it's just really easy drinking. Yeah. Surprisingly, mine ended up hitting seven point three percent, whereas Hayburner is seven percent. But eh, I really think so drinkable. Seven percent gets dangerous. Yeah, very. <laughs> Hayburner always makes me think of hot pot now oh, because yeah. uh, the, uh, Buffalo Little Lamb, the hot pot restaurant. We've gone with our, our friends a couple times, and they have Hayburner on tap. Hayburner is pretty widely available for a, a locally brewed craft beer, and so we'll get a picture of it and pass that around the table. And it pairs really well with spicy Asian food. A uh, picture. <laughs> that's, I, I was going to say one at a time, but that's not even true. <laughs> we'll get some pictures of Hayburner. <laughs> so, Alex, is there a process in the home brewing that you like more than the other? Like, you, you know, there's that. I, mean, I guess you could start with researching and picking out the ingredients, buying the ingredients, then your actual brew day. Then you got the whole. 
I mean, even in brew day, there's several aspects to it, uh, mm-hmm. cooling it down. And then you got to ferment it. Wait, you got to get it into bottles and yeah. then you get to drink it, which is the best part. But I guess like in that process is, are there parts you're like, yes. And parts you're like, oh no, the tasting <laughs> at the end. <laughs> uh, obviously that's the, yeah. that's the best part of it. You get to finally taste your end product. But I would say that my favorite part is actually the beginning coming up with an idea for a new beer and actually coming up with a recipe and going through all the different grains and saying why this grain over this grain and figuring out what's the actual flavor profile I want people to taste at the end and then backtracking to figure out how we get that. Now, has that changed the way that you think about beer when you're drinking beer? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, what do you tend to notice first? If you're about to have, say, a pale ale that you've never had before, mm-hmm. what are you going to notice? The first thing, obviously, the first thing is uh, color, because, you know, we we eat and drink with our eyes first. Aroma is, you know, the second you put it to your nose and half of what we taste is what we smell. But I would say that I, uh, I definitely just dissected down into the hop character, the malt character, the yeast. Sometimes it can ruin beer for me mm-hmm. because I get too technical in my thinking about the, what I'm actually drinking. Instead of sometimes just enjoying what I'm drinking. You and the guys at Aurora Brew Works were the ones who taught me that it matters what sort of glass you're drinking your beer mm-hmm. out of. Because you do, you want to be able to smell it and you want to get those those flavors up front. And I, I pretty much invariably when I'm drinking beer now, I will sniff it first because I, I want to know what to expect and kind of prepare my palate for it. Right. I've gotten so used to smelling first that... <laughs> I guarantee you'll catch me on the show. Uh, I smell my water now Mm -hmm. because it's habit. (laughs) All right. That actually leads me into another question that I wanted to ask you about is what's it like brewing with uh, Buffalo, you know, Western New York, Erie County municipal water supply. We get our water from Lake Erie. It has a particular flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Water everywhere has a particular flavor to it. What considerations does, does that bring into it when you're doing home brewing? Buffalo water is actually really good for dark beers. The salts within our water tend to lean that way. Um, Higher pH, uh, which with a higher pH, uh, your darker grains will actually lower the pH of your mash, uh, which is where you get all your sugar from. Uh, So having that higher pH, you can lower it a lot easier. So you can actually get into more of the, the right pH range of your mash with less salts added in and per I, personally i think that's uh the way to go add less in to get a better product i actually overheard someone at collaboration talking about how there are so many subpar new england style ipas around because people don't take into account that the water in new england is different from the water where they're brewing mm-hmm. uh, water profiles in different areas it's a thing but if you know what is in your actual water before working with it, you can figure out the, the right type of chlor- uh, chloride sulfate ratio. You can figure those things out by adding gypsum and adding different mm-hmm. salts to mimic uh, certain water profiles of you know, different areas. Personally, I don't like doing that. Um, I know there's a lot of people, is it Burton on Trent, uh, which I think is, is that England? I think it's England. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people would do like Burton salts into their water to mimic that water character to do 
like English style IPAs. I'm just like, why are you mimicking that? You have a good water source here. Just make sure your mash is right and that your sulfate to chloride ratio is good and you're pretty much good to go. Yeah. So so you'd rather lean into the qualities of our local water yeah, as opposed to trying to of our water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there a beer you go to to make where you're thinking, I've got to make this again? And is there one where you're one you haven't made yet you're looking forward to? I have so many recipes I've come up with that I've never even brewed. Easily over a hundred. I was going to say, if you get Alex at a party, he will tell you about like, oh, I want to get this flavor and this and there. (laughs) It's part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm a, I'm a very receptive audience for that. (laughs) So what's one though, if you've got a lot going that you haven't done, what's uh, one you love to do? Uh, There's two that I do. One frequently, one like maybe once a year. The frequent one is called Naked Pig, and it's a brown ale. Um, I originally brewed it to pair with my buddy Dan's barbecue. So we have a pig roast every year, and I started brewing it just for the pig roast to pair with the barbecue, uh, which turned out really good. And then I just kind of fell in love with brown ales because of it. Started drinking a lot more, started tuning up this recipe. I think I've brewed this brown ale... 15 16 times at this point how good was it oh well that was it was it was good and it's i feel like it gets better and better i i was gonna say it's interesting because again having been there i i'll i'll see people go, oh yeah you know uh compared to last year's this one's a little more mellow or like oh yeah i i think this got a nice full rich flavor this time around yeah so it's it's neat because i i think that is one of the things that gets overlooked sometimes in craft beer brewing and especially small batch brewing is that you do get variations on the flavors you know Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like your big mass-produced pilsners and lagers where it's going to taste the same every single time and that's that's part of the quality of it yeah yeah and uh you can definitely see that too with uh smaller breweries uh ones that are like one to three barrels you can get a lot of variation in their flagships even smaller batches it's harder to have really good consistency of the same product i like live ales where actually because of the way that it packaged and served at a a pub they're they're very popular in scotland and and Mm -hmm. england but it actually will taste different if you have it when they first tap it as opposed to a week later when you're getting down to the end and that's part of the joy of it Mm mm-hmm Real ales. <laughs> I think getting into the home brewing in the last few years for me, researching more of the history on how certain things like colonial times and they'd make a beer and then they'd make a small beer, mm-hmm. meaning they'd reuse the grains mm-hmm. because that would have less alcohol and they would drink that instead of water because water wasn't that healthy. But it gave me a, like a new th- process where I was starting to think about like the colonial times and then also farmhouse style ales oh, in I France, style ales. Um, Belgium, where it was you read about what these breweries were. They just put it in their basement. It wasn't very sanitary, maybe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you were talking about, Alex, like year to year, maybe it's different. And it's just kind of this fun element, I think, where there's a point where I was kind of thinking, oh, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. And you read some of these magazines, um, if you're Zemergy, where they talk about very careful, very specific process. And then you think, well, we've been drinking beer for thousands of years hundreds of, yeah like and 
so you can, I guess for people who are scared, like I was in the very beginning, like you can just get into it. And at the same time, we had one of my Pilsners and I was like, eh, it's okay. You know, and it didn't do what the Pilsner should do. And it's like, well, that's kind of that homebrew style, I guess. That's mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, you're not making it in that professional. Well, and for most of human history, beer was homebrew beer. Right. Right. And it's just fascinating to think that. And it kind of takes an edge off. And it's, I think it's more fun in that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you try it and even when you get a bad one at a brewery, you're like, I see what they're going for. Yeah. Right. And it's a little more respect, I guess, instead of just being like, oh, this is beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I try to do that whenever I do find a bad beer. Uh, that I just like, I don't like it. And I always have to like justify with myself. Do I not like it because of the style? Do I not like it because of X, Y, or Z thing that they did? Or is there actually an off flavor in here that I'm that like, it shouldn't be there. This is a process flaw. You should have done better there. You always have to think about it and just be like, well, maybe they were going for this. I had a Irish red ale the other day that was totally dark in color. And I'm like, that looks like a porter. I mm-hmm. sipped on it and I'm like, I see, I, I get Irish red, but I also get a lot of coffee. That's kind of out of place for the style, but maybe that's what he likes in his, in his Irish red. Maybe that's what the brewer really likes in his Irish red. Can't knock him for that. Mm-hmm. One of the other beers was just a diacetyl bomb that was just gross. And I was Ooh. like, okay, no. <laughs> There's a point where you just push it away. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I always like to clarify, too, that there's a difference between being a beer enthusiast, as we all are, I'd say, Mm -hmm. and a beer snob, where, like, yes, you're going to notice if a beer is bad, but it doesn't mean that every time you crack open a beer, it has to be this high-end, hard-to-get, whatever. Like, there are lots of good mass-produced beers. I'll always remember talking to your dad, where he was like, uh... So, uh, what do you think of Jenny? Uh, I said, well, well, do you have one for me? <laughs> he was that, very appreciative. Of that, that was apparently the correct answer. But <laughs> yeah, no, I like, I like a Jenny. Are the, either of you Fletcher or Alex, uh, seasonal beer drinkers where you're wintertime, oh, it's, it's dark stuff. You know, we're coming oh, yeah. into spring at some point, I think maybe more of the lighter wheat ales, I guess. It, it, do you feel that way too? Like I could drink any beer any time of the year, but there's definitely. I feel like I get worn out on the seasonals um, because I do enjoy them. Like seasonally. <laughs> seasonally, exactly. But even like more half seasonally, halfway through the season, I'm just like, all right, I'm over pumpkins and spices and all this stuff. Get me to the stouts. Halfway through the winter, I'm like, okay, where's the spring? I need something light and crisp and just delicious. I want to drink on a patio. Well, I, I think one of the neat things about the different seasonal styles is that they exist because it's easier to brew certain types of beer at certain times of year, depending on the weather conditions and the temperatures and, and all of that. Yeah, it can be depending on, uh, depending on your system. Yeah. <laughs> and, and well, I guess, yeah, looking at the older times, I mean, Alex, you'd probably be able to better explain it like a Marzen style. Like they would have been starting it at a certain point because the temperature fluctuations and letting it. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, the lagering character of a Marsen is you, you have to keep it near freezing temperatures. That's why they, I mean, a long time ago, even like uh, Yingling, they had caves they would age the beer in to lager them. It's funny because Marzen, the name comes from March, but it was an Oktoberfest beer because they'd brew it in March and then drink it yep. in September. Yep. Yeah, and lagering, that word is actually German for storing. 
So I didn't realize that. Yeah. So uh, whenever you're logging something, today, you're literally that. just storing it for the long term. Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite beer you've brewed? I'm going back to the first one we did, which was a Hefeweizen. And I can't say it would have been like if you had it now, you'd say that's a homebrew. Like it had the homebrew <laughs> characteristics. And I enjoyed making that one. We had a fun one where we started making a pale ale style and it was a nice base. And what we would often do is put fruit on it. So you'd make the beer. And then once it's in the secondary, secondary carboy for those people who don't know, just throw blueberries on it. Like we'd cook it up maybe nice. or raspberries. Um, I don't think we did strawberries. We did a strawberry mead. That was okay. So that was fun to do. I like mm-hmm. doing We had a good stout recipe and a Pilsner one. You made that scotch ale too. Ooh, I love a scotch ale. We went through, uh, if my buddy was here, he'd re- recall all of them we call, but we went through about four different styles of scotch ales when we were, you know, in those early years of making it because we really love scotch ales. And it was like scotch fail one, scotch fail two. <laughs> and I think by four or five, it started like figure like there was just something about what we were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we were brewing in his apartment and then it was like going into his basement apartment. So it wasn't perfectly temperature. And, you know, this is at the time when more people were getting into it. We did a spruce beer before. Yeah, uh, that's one I've always wanted to do. I've so always wanted to use spruce. Let's see. I think around Memorial Day is a good time because it's the. The blue spruce. Blue spruce, yeah. Right. And you need the tips. Mm-hmm. The fresh green tips. We did that. And so normally, like as spring is changing in summer, we've done that. And that's why we've done some beers at my parents' house. They're on well water. So we we're also kind of curious how that would turn uh, out with things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we would went out and cut the tips off. And we've done that a few times where it's got a bit of a, I think the original description was like a cola flavor. And oh, cool. it, it kind of has that with the spruce. And I was looking for one of those to bring today and I couldn't find one. Uh. Um, but yeah, maybe in May we'll get one going. Nice. <laughs> Let's brew in together. Yeah, definitely. I feel like brewing together is the best thing for me. I agree. I, I always love when people come over to brew with me. What do you got brewing right now? I did a pilot batch of my IPA for my brewery. Uh, 15, 15 gallons. Very American style. Uh, not New England style. It's going to be, it's going to have some bitterness to it. Not really West Coast, but leaning West Coast. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, uh, West Coast IPAs definitely have more of a firm bitterness to them, whereas New England styles can be a little softer on the bitterness with a little more mouthfeel and like just real juicy hop character. Shout out again to Tom Path, the biggest fan I know for the West Coast IPAs. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> Close to us, there's a TIL brewing it's right next door to lily bell meads which is a, a local lancaster favorite and they do a really nice dank generation and it's mm. a west coast ipa that is nice. delicious very nice i heard they're uh are they expanding yes nice i don't mind extract i used to be like nope never use i'm using extract in my beer never it's always got to be fresh fruit it's always gonna be fresh whatever it is um but i've kind of turned a corner on that uh just knowing that Adding, we'll just say raspberries to, we'll say a stout. You'll get a certain character from that raspberry in the beer during that secondary fermentation. Mm-hmm. But even just a drop of an extract adds a whole nother raspberry dimension to it, which makes it kind of like come full, like full force raspberry at you then. So I've kind of been, I don't always use extract, but it's always a, okay, taste it before, like as I'm kegging. Does it need a, a drop? Is it, is it good this way? Does it need a little bit more 
rounded character to it. And then I will use just a touch of extract. And there's a total control element with extract too, which is helpful. I mean, the fruit you're using year to year, that's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And so if you want that controlled element, extract makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. That and, uh, controlled like purees uh i've been working with a company called amaretti uh they do a lot of purees and extracts and things like that for breweries and got some samples from them and messed around with them and they're really good and if i can get a consistent product out of that it's usable then right it probably depends too a lot on what sort of flavor you're going for and the characteristics of a specific like if you're trying to add lime to something you don't really want that pithy lime flavor. You mm-hmm. want that fresh citrusy yeah, flavor. That bright character. Yeah. And I could see that being a lot easier to do with extract than trying to like peel limes and throw them. <laughs> oh my God. I'm zesting limes. Uh, I'll be doing uh, that next weekend for my margarita goza. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I love brewing the beer, but man, do I hate zesting all those limes. <laughs> What's the wildest flavor you've ever tried to brew, successful or not? I have a recipe ready to go for it, but I've never brewed it because I'm scared. And as soon as I say this, you guys might be like, that's gross. <laughs> Guacamole beer. You know, I've read so many different weird beers out there. I can't say I've tried them all, but e- even that doesn't sound that odd in a way. And how, how would you go about that? Like, what's in your mind percolate saying, this is what I'm going to do? Avocado is obviously the base of uh, guacamole. So avocado has to be in it some kind of peppers so i i would go with jalapenos it's that avocado character that you try to get in there it has to be a lighter colored beer mm-hmm. um lighter flavored beer too because avocado is such a light flavor to begin with and the best way to get it would actually in my opinion be avocado honey because you get the sugar already mm-hmm. with the honey but then you also get that hint of flavor Using avocado in actual beer is kind of tough because of the fat content. I'm just thinking how temperamental a piece of produce an avocado is. You need the timing just right Uh, for everything. It's going to be either too hard or it's going to start turning black. (laughs) But you don't want fat content in your beer. It totally destroys the head on your beer. It'll give it an oily slickness. So using actual avocado is kind of a I've seen someone do it. Mm-hmm. But man, did that beer look gross. Another aspect or, or characteristic of beer that I think probably a lot of beginner home brewers aren't thinking about, which is that that mouthfeel that you get the consistency of the beer. How do you uh, how do you account for that? How do you adjust that? Uh, there's a lot of ways to adjust the mouthfeel. Um, the very a simple way is just throwing flaked grains in, uh, like oats, uh, flaked wheat, flaked barley. Uh, you can use those type of adjuncts in the actual mash to get a thicker body. Or you can just mash at a higher temperature. Uh, mm. And it's, it's so wild that the difference of your mash being at 148 degrees to it being 154 degrees, like a six degree difference, yet... In that range, on the lower end, you get a lot more fermentable sugars. More fermentable sugars means the yeast is going to eat them, leaving less body in the beer. Higher temperatures of 154, you can actually get more complex sugars that the yeast can't actually uh, chomp on and eat. So it's going to leave more residual sugar in your beer. So you can add body just by adjusting your mash temperature. Isn't it wild? 
Like, I mean, you've gone through this process yeah. and I recall it's probably only in the last few years where in, in a sense, trying to get more serious, I guess you could say, and understanding that. And yeah, it's six degrees temperature from six. what you're saying. It's crazy. And it will totally change all these different things. Yep. I mean, your yeast, I, I think the big one for me has been the temperature it's fermenting at. Like that is super important. Yep. And I mean, obviously there's people who are like, yeah, duh. But even just a couple degrees here and there, you're getting different flavors. And it was suddenly this like, oh, even that much. Like you have to be that precise. Like it's fun to do the, like I was saying, colonial style or just mm. letting it go. But then yeah. you, at the same time, you're like, I don't want to F this up. I want it good. I want a good beer. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the things to do? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. That six degree difference, like uh, the Hayburner clone, it came in or my mash temperature was actually less than what they said to have it be. And I was like, all right, mess that part up. It's probably going to affect it a little bit. It did bump it. It got me a more fermentable mash. So then I ended up you know, going 0.3% higher than what Hayburner should be. And that's literally because of the mash getting extra fermentables and i actually think the body is slightly thinner than hayburner also it's literally because i was off by two degrees adam is there a style you'd especially like to try to make someday i think the farmhouse styles like that's something i've been reading about a lot the saisons it's just been one it's been more i've been drinking more of them and because i think i think i've just grown tired of certain styles in a way like yeah you give me a double ipa it's fine it's delicious but after a while, you're like, okay, but some about those farmhouse styles, um, maybe because there's not as many. And I think reading about the process of what they were like, where it's, it's kind of by chance in some fashion. And mm -hmm. it's just fascinating yeah. to me. So that's, that's one I've been looking at. Our friend Olivia, past guest of the show, uh, says that I like beers that taste like barnyards. And she's <laughs> not wrong. But like a good Saison does have that kind of earthy, mm -hmm. rural quality to it. Yeah. And Oh, I love it. Do you have like a, a go to Saison for drinking? You know, a commercially available one, I should say. I think I'm just normally going to the beer store and searching for them mm -hmm. and grabbing whatever is available. If you ever see it, Tank 7. Tank 7. Yeah, I think it's a Boulevard Brewing Company. So good. The show is already being wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> drinking and learning more. <laughs> well, that's uh, Oma Gang makes a very good the Hennepin. Oh, Hennepin. oh, that is oh. fantastic. And I, I think Hennepin is what convinced me that I love Saisons. Um, although I usually my go to is the Le Fin du Mont. You'll never go wrong with it. No, <laughs> I try to have a bottle in the fridge normally. And that's mm -hmm. normally the beer we'll drink New Year's Eve. Yeah. End of the world type of, you know. <laughs> you <get> it. <laughs> it's nice hearing the fun element of like the homebrew where it's just like because it, it, it's supposed to be fun. Right. And it's like, beer. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's beer. Right. It should be fun. It should be enjoyable. You get together with people. I, I think those early books, uh, the Charlie Papazon guy, who's always mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're worried, uh, have a homebrew and have relax. Homebrew. Yeah. Yep. Just, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a simple thing. All right. So uh, we're going to finish up before we get too deeply into your beers. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> can you tell us what we're drinking right now? Yeah. This one's called Thick Naked Pig. Uh, it's a, an imperial version of my brown ale, so an imperial brown ale. It, it, radio isn't doing the aroma justice at all. It is amazing. <laughs> like, I, my glass is empty and I keep sniffing it. It is so well done. <laughs> well, there's more in that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can have some more. So, Alex, next step is professional brewing, your own brewery. Yes. Tell us about that. 
Uh, yeah, so we we're hoping to be open sometime this fall uh, in the Tonawanda uh, area. Uh, we are called Beer Kind Brewing. You can find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook right now. Uh, we have a website coming, hopefully, uh, in the future and should be running a Kickstarter sometime this summer. Well, we will have to check back with you for that. Yeah. Beer Kind Brewing. Yep. How'd you Beer come up kind. with the name? Uh, we're My wife and I were big fans of the Be Kind movement and uh we kind of just kind of just stumbled into the name and we we're like that just like resonates with us so our slogan is beer kind to your mouth with great beer and uh beer kind to your community well done i like that <laughs> thank you thank you i gotta give that to my wife that, that was her <laughs> smart <laughs> well alex thanks so much for joining us today yeah, thank you for having me Thanks for listening to this episode of the Enthusiasts Guild. You can subscribe and hear all of our episodes through your podcast player of choice. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at the Enthusiasts Guild. On Twitter, if Elon Musk hasn't entirely ruined it, at Enthusiast Guild, no S. Or contact us at theenthusiastsguild at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 716-222-0828 to share comments, questions, and suggestions. Our theme music is by Nicholas Barkham. <laughs>